Tom, are we clear to start? Are we start? Are you done? Tom's telling us it's time to go. Thanks, Tom. Good morning. It's good to be together again. Um, wasn't it amazing to celebrate Easter together? Uh, 2,500 people came. Uh, I think it was 1,200 at Good Friday. That was awesome. Yeah. And the number is not as important as that represents so many new visitors, uh, whether it was family or friends that came for the first time. And I have jealously wanted to do this message, and we felt like it landed really good after Easter. I don't know if you have listened to the radio or watched much of the news or read the paper, but it's really easy for us uh, to fight. It's, a lot of, it's really easy for us to come up with a lot of things to fight about. I, made, I named this message, What Christians Should Be Fighting Against. Now, I know Trisha shamed the crew group because you said you should be doing this, and how dare you? You said you should. I was just, I was offended deeply. Um, when we use that term, it has a bit of a, and if you're not doing that, there's a problem. I think what I'm starting to feel over the years here, especially in our city, there's a lot of Christian conversation around what we should be doing. In fact, it doesn't go very long where I'll get an email or a a call or a letter or some sort of what I should be doing or what our church should be doing. And what I find is that as Christians, we don't have a real good handle on, on what is the should. And we we were coming up with a lot of these things that we should be fighting against. And the problem I'm having with that is that the story we just unfolded on Easter, on Good Friday, is a God that recognizes our fight would lose. And that it would be his sacrifice, his horrible, torturous death, his resurrection that would win the fight, that we could then sit and rest in that fight. Now, what does it mean for us to then live in the world? What should we be fighting against? If Jesus is already overcome, if evil is already defeated, what should we be doing? And it's with that that I wanted to ask you a couple questions. You have a blank card on your your seat, and if you don't have one, just find one. They're probably on the floor somewhere in a pencil. I want to ask you a question about enemies. Enemies defined are one that is antagonistic to another, seeking to injure, overthrow, or confound an opponent. I want to ask you, uh, who are your enemies? Or who considers you an enemy? Could you write that list down? Could you write that list down? If you need help, ask your neighbor. Maybe they know of some that you have. Uh, Write those down. Who are the people that are, are fighting against you. Maybe they're fighting to hurt you, to harm you. I mean, in our world today, obviously, there's, there's lots of things that we could talk about that, that create a, a stir, right? I mean, if you don't think you have enemies, let's, let's start talking politics in the room, right? Let's start doing that. Let's start talking about conservative, liberal, Democrat, Republican, right? That'll rile you up. So if you don't have an enemy this morning, nudge your neighbor, start dropping those things, and you may have one. Who are the people that you feel resistance 
Who are they? Write them down. Those of you who don't write down, you have no enemies and yeah, you're awesome. As you said, you're awesome because you have no enemies. No, you might have some because you're not writing anybody down. So that was funny the first service, but that didn't work here. So I, I, I think I have, you know, and it wasn't hard for me to go, gosh, who really doesn't like me? Who do I feel there's tension with? And we have had people come through the church, and I know that I've tried to pursue, but there are people that I know I have to write on that list. I think that's important this morning because I want to establish that. What, what are the enemies out there? Now, you may have a list of things that we're, you're fighting against and that are enemies to you and your faith. All right, do you have your names down of people? Let me ask you this question now. On the other side of it, flip it over. I want to ask you, how do you desire to be treated in a world that's that's got so much out there that's evil and, and creating so much tension and resistance, how do you want to be treated in this world? I mean, how do you want to be treated in this world? Well, what's your list look like? Write, write down some of the list that you think you would like to, to have people, the values, the principles that you'd like. And I, I can help you out here. Here's, here's what I like. I, I mean, I want to be treated... First of all, with respect. Not over-respect, like, oh, you're the pastor, and like, I don't like that because I'm like, just like you. But I, I like being respected. I don't like being disrespected. Uh, I like kindness. I heard a pastor talk about this, and it was so true. The TSA, and if they start yelling at you like you're a terrorist, right, and pushing you through line, I don't, I don't like that. I want to be treated with some level of kindness. I, I want to believe, I want people to believe the best in me. There hasn't, there's been several times where a Facebook comment comes out and I am, probably newsflash for some of you, I'm really sensitive. I really am. And I am about to shut down my Facebook because I, I just see it such an, a, a scary place for people to do unwarranted comments. And when I read some of those things about me or our church, I, oh, I, I would hope you'd believe the best intention. That, that, that there was no desire to harm or hurt, but you would believe the best. I want that. I, I want to be treated that way. The other part of that is then I want the first chance to explain myself. I want that chance to, hey, you're hurt or offended. Could you believe the best that I didn't mean it? And let's, let's have the first shot at talking it through. The last would be is just being honest. I, I want people to treat me with honesty and not say something to me and then later say it somewhere else differently. One of the, the phrases we've been using around here is, I, I hate taking tests that I don't know I'm taking. I like to know if I'm taking a test. And so I, I, I think for me, this is my list. What's yours? What, what are the things that you really, how you want people to treat you? You've you got to have to do this list. If you're not, the whole message is just a wash. You, you will get nothing out of today's service if you don't have anything on your list. Kind of kidding. What is it? All right. It is with that 
that we land in a principle that Jesus talks about. And I, I want to make a couple statements about our church. I am a Bible guy. I believe that the Bible is written, inspired by God, that it has truth for our lives. It, it not only gives me perspective about many of the areas of, life, of my life, even the ones it doesn't, it allows for me to have values and principles that I could apply in everything in my life. The Bible is a guide for me. I'm a Bible guy. We are a Bible church. There, there's nothing that we're fabricating from another book. We may resource other books to get more clarity on our Bible, but we're a Bible church. Why is it in the church today that there seems like there's a lot more warring going on amongst Christians and fighting amongst Christians about what Christians should be doing? And there's a lot of this finger pointing. And I feel like we've, we've maybe missed the point of John 17 where Jesus prays to the Father and remember his prayer. He says, Father, I'm, I'm leaving my disciples in the world. You and I, those who are following me in the world. So that, so that the world might see me and how they love each other. Let me just ask you a question. What do you think people see in Green Bay Community Church on how you love one another? Sometimes I wonder, would empty chairs be filled more if we learned more about this love Jesus speaks of? Jesus lands on this principle. He's going to land on a principle in Matthew chapter 7. He does it also in Luke chapter 6. But it's, it's a principle that he's going to, to talk about that, that comes out of this, this old picture from the Old Testament we'll address. And it's this idea of the golden rule. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law of the prophets. Well, remember his great law was love the Lord your God, all her, your heart and soul and your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Jesus summarizes and says, everyone should be treated how you want to be treated. Now, now this, is, this is radical Bible stuff, right? I mean, we're looking in our pages of our Bibles to find, tell us where, you know, we can find another war to fight or another cause to go after. And, and I don't want to talk about this morning about fighting for those who are, are persecuted. We actually are called to fight for those people who can't fight for themselves. But, but Jesus has fought the battle over evil. What are we supposed to be doing? He says it right here. I want you to do to everyone how you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law of the prophets. So Jesus is going to unpack this principle for us. Three weeks ago, Damien LaCroix and I and uh, a whole uh, host of people from uh, a church in Chicago went to Angola prison in Louisiana again. Now remember, I've told you about this place, 6,300 inmates, most of them life or death. Uh, they're there for life, and then some of them are, are scheduled to, are on death row. But uh, they built a Bible college there. This Bible college has, has graduated some 200, 250 seminary graduates that are pastoring churches on the facility. 
quite fascinating. But let me tell you about experience. I first, this is the first time I went on death row. This is a, a kind of a grainy picture, but a picture of what death row looks like. And I'll never forget that moment because as he opened the door, the guard, he clanked onto uh, 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 to the bars and said, um, women, on, women on row, women on the row, which meant there were women coming in with us in this big group. And when you're walking in these cells, this is their home. This, it's everything, their toilet, their bed, that's it. And they're scheduled to die. Now, I hadn't looked up anybody in Angola, and they have several, I mean, a lot of people on death row. Well, I, the first guy I got to meet was Derek, and a nice man. And what a, a man that has found Christ in this prison. And, I mean, he has nothing to lose. You know, different than maybe sometimes when people are in jail, they can find Jesus and then they leave Jesus in jail. And so Jesus becomes a good get-out-of-jail-free card, you know, a lot of times. And I'm not saying that always happens, but it can. These guys aren't getting out. I'm grabbing his hands, Derek's, and we're just, we prayed with them and we talked with them. And, and you would be, this would be like a coffee shop person. You'd, be, you'd really like this guy. So on the plane ride home, I thought I would just look him up. I didn't know what he did, but I did. I looked up and found that this man had, had raped and murdered eight women. And it was at that I go, <gasps> should I even have grabbed hands with this guy? I mean, what if that's one of my daughters? This is what I'm fighting against. This person, I immediately felt myself taking on this fight. That man should die. I felt it. It could be as small as an email. It could be as small as being wrong financially. Trish and I were, uh, I was employed by a Christian company some years ago. I didn't get paid, a, almost $59,000 not paid in salary, done. I was wronged. But it could be an email, it could be, it could be something financial, it could be someone in, in the church, it could be something that somebody's not doing for you. Whatever it is, there's that sense of letting go of the hands and this is an enemy, this is a fight. And it makes it even harder than this golden rule to, to, to listen to as Jesus says, I want you to do to everyone as you would like them to do to you. Jesus will now unpack this in Matthew chapter 5, and I want you to hear this, because he says in verse 38, you have heard it said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. This concept of eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, comes out of the Old Testament. It was largely a part of the, the Jewish law, the Mosaic law, and it was a way for God to, to unpack some way to control this idea of justice. Because when someone wrongs you, usually it's not tooth for tooth, eye for eye. It's they did this, they deserve this. It's part of our sinful human nature. We want more. We want a pound of flesh. We, we want more justice. It's why revenge and justice never has an end in our hearts. You've heard it said, an eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. So the principle was in the Old Testament, if you had sinned with your hand, you'd lose your hand. If you uh, killed a, a neighbor's horse, you were to give them back a horse. I mean, it was, it was just basically balancing the scales. The problem is, over time, 
The religious Pharisees became the judge and jury and the exactors of this justice, and it got distorted, really distorted. So Jesus is speaking now to this distortion. But can I tell you, this sets right at home for us in Green Bay. Because how riled have we gotten about stuff in the church? I mean, just even driving, guys. How many of you have had someone cut you off or inappropriately, you don't know, they don't put their blinker on, whatever, and then immediately you're going to punch it, right? And then you're going to immediately, they just get the look. You might put your arms on the top of the wheel, see that pipe, yep, mm-hmm. You may, you know, do one of these. I don't know what it is. Now, the funny part is in our car, we have like a two-stroke Camry. It's like, I can't even get the car to that speed. But we feel that tension, don't we? They need to be, they need to be corrected. You think about social media and the abuse that goes on there. You know, there are, there are groups that create what's called rants. They love creating rants on Facebook. And they, they don't even care. They just, they pretend and they're going to create a rant. And you see so much, especially in the church today, fighting, resisting, trying to take a pound of flesh for something so small. Jesus says, do not resist an evil person. What does that mean? Don't fight them. Do not fight them. Oh, Troy, no. We're supposed to fight those evil people. No. first point today is we should be fighting against resisting. Now, now this feels like a pacifist message, right? Oh no, what is he going to tell us just to lay down? Jesus is going to unpack this here. You're going to see in a moment. The first point though for you is we are not called to fight people. We were really not. It's never been a part of who God's called us to be. Romans 12, Paul will say it this way, do not repay anyone, anyone, anyone. Now, friends, I don't, I don't pretend to know what it would feel like to have one of my daughters uh, abused, raped, killed. I don't, I, can't, I don't even know what I would feel. I can't imagine that. But it says do not repay. This is Bible, I'm a Bible guy. We're Bible people. This is what the scripture calls us. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge. Wow. Don't you feel? You just you want to make the correction for somebody. You want to call them out. You want to point them out. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay. Isn't it crazy we think that us exacting some sort of vengeance or revenge is actually going to feel really good? And that never ends. That just wrecks our hearts. Wouldn't we rather give it to the Creator and go, whoa, you're in trouble. (laughs) I'm going to let him carry this one out. I am going to pray for you. 
I mean, think about it. He goes on and says, on the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. So that person that wronged you and slandered you in social media, you're supposed to love them back. That person that stole from you, that person that treated you horribly, that spouse that was unfaithful to you, that harmed you, that divorced you, in doing this, you will keep burning coals on his head. It comes out of the Proverbs, too. It comes out of this principle that we're not to be fighting and resisting. We're to be loving them. Now, I'm a Bible guy, and I know you are, too, and this is hard Bible stuff. This is really difficult Bible stuff. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Don't let your heart be swayed into you taking over what I'm going to do. That's what God says. Revenge. Revenge is to vindicate a person's right, and we all want that, don't we? And, and, and it is so crazy, whether it's driving in our cars and wanting to prove a point. I so chuckle at road rage. It's like as if you've never turned, not used your blinker. I mean, I laugh when someone gets so irate. It's like, really? And I've done it. I've gotten mad at people. And then I have to step back and think, what a dummy I am. Because I'm acting as if I've driven perfect, you know, since I was 16. Are you kidding? I mean, I have done some dumb things in my car. to vindicate a person's right. Now this morning, I want you to hear the Bible is clear about us protecting our neighbors, actually. There is a whole host of teachings around us going after and standing up for people that need someone to stand up for them. I believe that with all my heart because, again, we're, we're, Bi we're a Bible church. It does say that. Now this next text is, we should fight against revenge, so th that's the second piece of this. This next text is going to launch us into, Jesus is going to unpack this idea of revenge because at face value, this idea of not fighting means we're just pacifists. Well, we just let people all over us Christians. But as a few scholars will point out, this is an interesting cultural study. As Jesus talks about this text, some of you have seen this. It actually leads to some interesting insight culturally. Now, in, in my, me trying to study this, I've heard this message taught about this before, and I've found a, a theology or a theologian that has kind of Walter Wink talks about this quite a bit in several of his books. And so culturally, I believe it lands very close, if not perfectly, on what's happening in the culture today. And the reason I'm saying that because it offers a different way. Not being fighters and resisting, but not being pacifists. Look what happens here. It says, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. Now this at face value means, oh gosh, who wants to be struck on the face? And like, All right, do it again. I love Jesus. Go again. Here's a flower, you know. I want to illustrate something here. Nate, can you come up? Um, is your face okay? Because I'm about to hit it right now. Are you, are you good? You have to go on this side. All 
All right, so if, if Nate here, I'm going to illustrate some cultural interesting perspectives. In the Jewish culture, your left side was unclean. What was your, what's your left side here? Show me your left side. So this is the left side of Nate. That's why he's facing it away from you. It's pretty unclean. I could see it from here. It's just terrible. Um, because with your left hand, a lot of unclean things, you know, hygiene things would happen. Is that enough said? You don't need an illustration there? Okay, good. Because of that, if, if I were to touch his left side, uh, in the Jewish law, I'd have to be made right. Ten days of purification and all that stuff would have to go on. So I'm not really going to slap him on his left side. The other thing is I'm not going to use my left hand. So what does that leave me with? My right hand. Now in Jewish culture also, is very interesting, is that if you were to slap with the back side of my hand, if I'm going to slap him now on the right side, what's the right side? I just want to get, make sure I get it right. I don't want to be unclean for how many days. I would slap him, right? The reason I'd use the back of my hand because it was saying to him, you're lower than me. Often to slaves, to write them, it's almost like a, a correction. I'm going to put you in line. I would use the back of my hand on the right side of his face. Bam. Now, when the scripture says, turn the other cheek, watch, watch, watch what happens. So I hit Nate. Now, if you're going to turn the other cheek, what would that mean? Turn, well, not your body. Come on now. <laughs> Just turn your other cheek. That means I'm in trouble, right? Because how am I going to slap? Turn that cheek, yeah? So how am I? I'm going to hit him in the face, which you don't do either. What's interesting here is the scholar writes, it forces me to take my right hand into a fist and hit him on the left side. Now, at face value, this doesn't seem like much. If I were to hit a man with my fist in Jewish culture, it meant we were equals. It meant we were the same. Now, we may be fighting, but I see him as an equal. I wouldn't even allow someone lower than me to have that honor to fight it out with me. Not only that, I have to hit his left side. Let's thank Nate, because that was awesome. Um, And thus, because isn't there a dignity thing here? You've lost your dignity. Look what gets put back. Turn the other cheek. Forces that person to say, they're the same. Now, there's some debate about this, but I thought, how powerful is that? That Jesus isn't just saying, lay down. Now, I think in modern-day culture, if you're in a home, I want to say, of abuse, what is the modern-day turning the cheek? You can walk out. I've counseled many women to leave the house. Leave the house. You're being abused. Turning the other cheek is, I'll show you, is walk out. You don't need that. And, and you don't deserve that. And you are an equal. And I think many people today think that turning the other cheek just means physically taking on this abuse. It doesn't. In that culture, though, look what happens. And look who'd be embarrassed in that moment. Look at the decision when they would turn that other cheek. Go ahead. Hit me. Because then your statement is, I'm the same as you. Hit me. Then you're made unclean. Look at that reverse. Someone said in the first service, it's like a secret Jesus way to take revenge. Uh, I don't know if I'd call it that, but maybe. How interesting. 
Look at the second one. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. The text will talk about this. So Nate, come up. I'm going to need you to take your... Oh, wait. We, we can't do that. You didn't get that, did you? Taking your coat off means everything. He'd be naked. In the court of law, they would be, a lot of times in that, in that culture, there was a lot of creditors, and there was a lot of debt, and a lot of creditors taking the coats. Actually, in Jewish law, it required that you give it back to them in the evening so they'd have something to sleep in. But in this text, it's saying, anyone who wants to sue you, take hand over everything, which means you would be naked. In Jewish culture, it wasn't necessarily the person that was naked was the one that was shamed. It was everybody looking upon him and the person that caused them to be naked. The shame would be on them. Imagine that. Being sued and, and, and all of a sudden, well, why don't you take it all? And the shame goes on them. Very fascinating about this. And so, not only in our dignity, but also in our security. And doesn't it feel like revenge is us keeping our dignity and keeping our security? Look at this third one. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. This is an interesting one. This refers to in the Roman oppression of the Israelites, remember your oppressors, they were allowed to ask anyone to carry their gear, their, their military gear, for one mile. It was Roman law. So imagine if ISIS, God forbid, took over the United States and they could ask any of us to carry their stuff for a mile. How horrible that would be. That's what the Jews felt at that time. But what Jesus is saying is, hey, when that one mile is up, you know, I'm up at one mile and the Roman soldiers give it to me, you go, oh no, I'd gladly take it too. What's happening? At that point, the scholar says, the Roman soldier would have been breaking a Roman rule, a military rule, and he could be subject to his his commander's punishment, and he wouldn't even know what that would be. He now becomes the one that's going to be oppressed because of the gratitude of someone else. It doesn't feel very passive. It's not fighting. It's this interesting other way that, that we see this picture. Liberty is restored. Liberty is restored. I mean, you see it online, I've seen it. I just saw the two gentlemen that were freed and, and they, were, they were wrongly, remember, accused of murder years ago and they've been in prison, I mean, it was 30-something years, wasn't it, 40 years, it was crazy. And you remember what a couple of the fellows said? They said, we don't blame him. We actually think it was very courageous that he finally admitted he lied. I thought, wow, there's not a vengeful, sp I, if that many years of your life had been wasted for naught, Interesting. Verse 42, then give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Jesus is saying, you know, you earn all this money, and this is, again, financial planners in the room or savers are freaking out right now. I, listen, I love Jesus. I love our Bible. Some of the stuff in the Bible is hard. It says, give to the people who ask you. Do not turn away from someone who wants to borrow from you. I've told people for years, I said, listen, I got taught this, don't lend money at all, give it. Um, and then you're, it's unattached. You don't have to worry about asking people to pay you back. But clearly there was borrowing back then. 
whether that's right or wrong, and I know we teach financial peace seminar and, and all the things about credit, but uh, clearly if someone needs something, you give it to them. I mean, Jesus is saying, don't try to establish and hold on to and fight for your possessions. Now, these are four simple examples that I think really talk about us, really four areas we try to find vengeance or justice over, don't we? Our liberty, our security, our dignity, our possessions. These are things we, how dare you? And Jesus is saying, don't fight that. Don't take revenge. Jesus then says, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and unrighteous. Matthew, this gospel writer, is speaking about what Jesus is saying and this powerful what Jesus is saying. He's saying, let my dad be your dad. I'll never forget the story of when I was growing up and, and my dad was living in the home and my brother and I were walking down a street and there was kind of this known gang and my brother and I were always taught walk, get on the other side of the street when that, that riffraff was around, you know? And we were little guys, like still walking barefoot through town in shorts and, you know? But I remember they saw us, two little boys, and came over. I remember they pushed us down and they pulled out knives uh, on my brother's throat. Now, I was the courageous one and broke free and fled home <laughs> and left my little brother there. I ran probably a half a mile faster than I've ever ran. You know why? I was going to get dad. Now my dad, um, if you met my father back then, you'd be freaked out because my dad was a little bit shorter than me, but about 230, he was a bodybuilder. He's huge. So sure enough, my dad takes his Volkswagen, I didn't know they could do this, puts me in the car, he whips the car, nearly hits these guys, they jump into the ivy. And I watch my dad unleash a wrath that was amazing. <laughs> he, he didn't hit him, by the way. He just scared the bejesus out of him. He said, listen, the God of heaven is fully understanding where you're at and what you're going through. My, his master plan, he's saying, is, is going to take care of the wrongs in the world. He says, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? I mean, loving people that love you. And not even the tax collectors, they're doing this. I mean, tax collectors love people that love them. That's because they, they can't get many friends, right? So they're going to, anybody that likes a tax collector, well, you better hang on to that friend. They're smart. And why is it in the church today, Christians are looking so much to fight and how much we fight each other over stupid stuff? I wanted to do this message because I think we miss what the church, the power of what God can do through us when we're loving just each other. That's John 17. I'm going to show the world. I'm going to show the world my love through how you love one another. And if you greet only your own people, what good, you know, or what are you doing more than others? That's easy. Do not even the pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Again, Jesus is saying, 
And we've said it all along. I mean, we dress up really nice. We look like good Christians this morning. Truth be told, aren't we all broken? Aren't we all in some ways on death row? Aren't we all in some ways really no different? Because we thought things and we are just as sinful. The scripture says that. The Bible says that. We are just as sinful. And God says, let me take that. Why don't you be different and love people radically? Loving people that love you back is easy. No credit. The credit will be is when you love people that are your enemy. Fight against our own heart really is really the summary. Fighting against our own heart to exact some form of vengeance on a dumb social media post over some money, over whatever it is, and God's saying uh, his goal is to redeem a lost world. And God, can you hear me? God is willing to save the worst, even Derek on death row. Eight rapes and murders. I don't get that. But I'm a Bible guy, and I love Jesus so deeply. I want to follow him, and I want to, I want to honor his name, and I know you do. And I wonder if that's why seats aren't open in the church today, because people aren't seeing that kind of love. They don't see it. Who are your enemies? How are you treating them? The golden rule is to treat others like yourself. That list you created, now go and do that for the people that you call or they call that your enemies. So on death row, we'd spend some time with Derek, then we moved down the hall, there was probably a group of about 15 of us, and there were a bunch of vocalists from, from the church we were with, and this one fellow's, one guy I met, his name was Lucky, and I didn't want to make a joke there, because here I am in death row holding his hands, he says his name's Lucky, I'm going, no. <laughs> That's, um, but it was his nickname. What a great guy. Open up his Bible, we talked about the Lord, but the guy next to him, start singing a song about Jesus that I wish I could bottle that up and bring it back to you. Because here's a man that has done a horrible crime. I don't even know what he did and I didn't look it up. But I thought, wow, and he started to sing a gospel tune and we all sang and it was a realization we're all in death row without Jesus. We're all in death row without Jesus. And his great command, what we should be fighting against, is our own evil, prideful, vengeful, arrogant hearts over stupid stuff. And even when it's horrible stuff, and even when it, it's big, whether it's loss of family members, all that, I don't understand it, but he's saying the great miraculous plan is how you love your enemies. The church will not grow if we just love lovely people. The church, the message of Jesus Christ goes out to a world that's not very lovable. And we're all have to be grateful for that. This morning when you go to communion, I'd have you think of a couple things. First, to recognize 
that the God in heaven loved you, his enemy, that way. It says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You know what that means? While you were still an enemy of God. Do you think about that? Jesus died on a cross for us, his enemies. Think about that as you take the bread and the cup. Second, you have a list. You have a list of enemies. Could it be that maybe some are even in this room? Maybe they don't even know this about that. Or maybe they're not in this room. Maybe there's someone that you've met or has wronged you. The Bible says, Jesus says, I'm a Jesus guy, and I know you are too. He says, love your enemies. Love them. Father in heaven, we pray this morning as we're really standing in front of this sacrament of communion, the bread and the cup, might we be reminded of the great sacrifice to us, for us, to free us from death row. But God, we were your enemies. May we be reminded of that. And Holy Spirit, would you lay a blanket of conviction on any of us, Father, that we need to go back and begin to love enemies. Could fill this room with a sense of love, a new type of love that you've called us to. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.